I want to welcome you to another episode of Money Matters Top Tips for Success, where I bring on business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives and have them share their top tips for success with you. My name is Adam Torres. You can follow me on Instagram, Ask Adam Torres, to keep up with my book releases, book tour schedule, all that good stuff. Um, always love to connect with you there. And as always, if you'd like to apply to become a co-author of one of my upcoming books, just head on over to the website, moneymatterstoptips.com, and click on Become an Author to Apply. All right, so today we have Stanford Crane on the line. He is the founder over at Silicon Valley Incubator. Uh, Stanford, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be with you, Adam. All right, so I'm definitely um, excited to uh, get into what you're doing over there, um, helping companies um, helping companies to succeed. But before we get into your incubator, um, let's get into your background a little bit more. So how did you get started as an entrepreneur? Well, I, I, I was sort of born into it. My dad was an entrepreneur. Where he started out as a test pilot. Then he became, uh, he worked at Edwards, you know, during the, the right stuff period and so forth. And then he's, he founded his own company uh, for avionics and so forth. So I was, I kind of grew up with the entrepreneurial attitude. My, my uncle was an executive with IBM and he kind of took the other road about the big corporate and, and, and late in his career, he decided, you know, I, I think your dad has it right. You should be an entrepreneur. So <laughs> I, I did the, I did the big company stuff early on just to, you know, get some more background. But uh, in the mid eighties, I, I, Brought a company to prominence, Molex. I, I created some strategies there that grew the company massively. The company was 40-something years old when I joined them to work with the McKinsey Committee there. And they had done $40 million in, in uh, revenue uh, a few years before, and they were hoping to get to 90. And I, I introduced some new thinking there and brought the company in two and a half years to $240 million. At wow. which time they gave me a, uh, a stock option that I couldn't exercise for five years. <laughs> and the president of the company said to me, well, you can call it golden handcuffs or whatever you want, but that's the way we're working here. And two weeks later, I resigned and started my own company. Wow. So it, was a, it, it was kind of a, a thing where I said, okay, this is, this is I, one of the key things I work on, Adam, is I think, I have a saying that's called reasonable and proper. And I, I like to treat people reasonably and properly. And uh, and having gone through training when I was with Amp Incorporated to, to negotiate with General Motors, I can tell you that rarely came up during that period. <laughs> <laughs> reasonable and proper was something they didn't understand at that time. But uh, but so I, I started off on my own because I, I really wanted to get more back into electronics. We were into subsystems there, and I wanted to get more into systems. And so I, I started my first company, uh, Crane Electronics, in Cincinnati, Ohio, which was kind of one of the dumbest things I ever did because at that time I thought it was all about having access to, you know, part strategic partners and and uh, uh, vendors and so forth. And so I went to Cincinnati because they had Millicron there. They had NCR up the road. My main, what turned out to be my main customer, Desi, was up the road from there. The big problem I ran into in Cincinnati was there were no venture capitalists. Mm. And, and this is in the 80s, of course, when the whole idea of venture capital back there was something that was radically new. Now, mm -hmm. I, I can tell you, I, I don't think it's changed that much since then. But I remember having Mike Valentine out here in Silicon Valley say to me, look, just move your company 30 minutes from 
Palo Alto and I'll fund the company. And I said, you know, here's the problem. And this is kind of goes to where we are in the Silicon Valley incubator. I said, Mike, we can't afford to operate in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, you know, here we are today with that exact problem that we're seeing here today. But so that's how I kind of got into it. And, I, and what I did was I, I took things that I was passionate about. I, I, you know, went to Virginia Military Institute and studied electrical engineering there. But I also studied uh, concomitantly, I studied journalism at Washington and Lee. So I had kind of this engineering kind of creative mixture and in a big company, you really can't exercise that very much. It was something I needed to, you know, apply my creativity to, uh, you know, in an engineering sense. And so that's why I had to start my own company. Wow. Um, that, that's, that's an amazing story. Uh, so what kind of, what kind of um, advice would you give? So you got the new, it's, it's obviously a, a lot's changed since you started your first company and since you, you know, and, and obviously right now you're working with younger, um, uh, but I want to, before we start talking about the incubator, let's talk about that, that new grad coming out. So maybe they're not ready for that level of, um, of uh, or for the incubator stage and they're just developing their idea and kind of getting their feet wet. If, if you could take, if you could take us back there, what kind of advice would you give that person? Well, you know, and I deal with some of these people now, Adam. It's kind of funny oh. that uh, even people who are, you know, seniors and, and upperclassmen at BMI will contact me and say, what really should I be doing? And I, I've had this running debate with the superintendent, who's like the president of the university, mm-hmm. saying we had, to, we had to be more entrepreneurially focused in our curriculum here at BMI. And, and I think BMI, uh, like many schools, has been, uh, looking internally, like let's have academia tell us what we should be doing. Mm. And I believe that it should be companies actively telling, you know, th- these universities what they would like th- these people to be taught so they would become more useful when they come out. So the, the younger people, I always tell them, find something that you're passionate about and don't make it so sp- specific like, oh, well, I want to be a rock and roll star. I want to, you know, mm-hmm. it's more like I'm interested in entertainment. I'm interested in engineering. And then you find out which areas are growing and which areas need the innovation. And, and unfortunately, I think in the Valley here, we're, we're becoming a little, a little too limited in how we look at things. And that's why you have like 150 uh, software as a solution companies being funded a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a massive sense of groupthink. But I tell these young people, Find something you're good at and and learn as much as you can every day you're there. So in other words, one of the best things that ever happened to me when I was at Amp Incorporated, and I've never seen another company do this, uh, they took the top executives at that company, and when you were in the management class, I was in the seventh management class they ever taught there, and this was like 40 years into the company, that they brought the top executives in to teach you everything they knew. And and it was so amazing to me because no one had ever done that before to say, wow. okay, these are our stars. These are our potential stars. Tell them what you know. And I remember one guy who was really running the whole company, Willard Smith, coming in and saying, so what do we do here at Amp Incorporated? You know, it then became known as Tyco. It's now back known as Amp. But anyway, Willard said he's listening to all these people mumbling around, you know, what they think. You know, the, the Harvard Business School answer is to the question. 
And then he stops and he goes, gentlemen, and we were all men in that class, there were no women. He said, gentlemen, we make money. And we have assets here. <laughs> we have assets like you people are assets for us, our manufacturing people, our customer base. We put all of those things together to figure out how do we make money. And they were making <laughs> massive, massive amounts of money. <laughs> so, so anyway, so that's what I, I, I tell these people is find some guy and say, hey, would you spend a few minutes with or gal? I mean, the beautiful part today is that, you know, I know it's being kind of underplayed a little bit, but they're, you know, look at <laughs> Look at Meg Whitman, for example. I mean, there are a lot of women who have achieved greatness, not only in technology, she's in entertainment now. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would just seek them out and say, can you spend 10 minutes with me? I'll buy you coffee. I, I, you know, what are the key things I should know? What, what, what are key things that we need to fill holes in here in the company that I could learn? So if you do that, and, and that also gives you visibility inside and I'm talking about entrepreneurial companies. I'm not talking about, you know, General Motors or even Google. I'm talking about mm-hmm. just go there and say, how can I help? What can I do? Here are my skills. And I would try to pick up new skills all the time. If, if you want to be in software, you know, learn three or four different, learn Java, learn Ruby, you know, go into different areas so that you can see strengths and weaknesses of all of those. And so that that's the advice that I would give them, I think, is, is don't limit yourself too much. Don't say, well, the only thing I do is Java. Okay, great. So now you've pigeonholed yourself mm-hmm. instead of saying, you know, we need Python. I'm, I'm into that. <laughs> you know, and all of these things are interrelated. They're actually much easier. I, I've seen software uh, structure get easier and easier as, throughout my career. So it's that's a good thing about today is it's more object-oriented than than you know, then line and alphanumeric oriented, which is where I started out, which was ridiculous. Yeah, it's a whole different, I mean, the barrier of entry, I just find, and just the connection and the connectivity. So exactly like what you're saying, if I, if I was to hear somebody give the advice you just gave, let's say even 10 years ago, I would, I would be listening to this podcast, well, it would be the radio then, right? But, and I'd be saying, okay, now how do I do that? But now to implement the advice you just said, you can literally go on LinkedIn, <laughs> look at a company that you like, look them up, see who their executives are, reach out um, and try and make a connection and get 10 minutes of their time and start building those relationships. And I say do it when you're in school is my always my advice. But um, if you're out of school, still keep doing it because time will fly and you'll want and you'll You'll either build your network or you won't. One of the two are going to happen, but you're not going to build your network by accident. Um, let's transition a bit, Stanford. Let's talk a little bit more. I want to get into um, what you're doing over at uh, as founder over at Silicon Valley Incubator. So um, what kind of companies are you helping and what are you helping them with? Well, this is kind of a, I, I have kind of a contrarian view uh, from a lot of people here at, you know, I'm literally five minutes from Santo Road and, and sometimes I jokingly call it the Santa Road Clown Show because <laughs> it, it's they have a completely different idea about business than I do. In my idea, businesses to survive and thrive, they have to be able to make money. And over here, it's more like let's just capture some eyeballs and see if we can figure out a monetization strategy. So we don't do those kinds of things in in, in the incubator. Now, it doesn't always make us very popular with those people over in San Joe Road. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had the number one IPO of 1996 over 
Netscape. So Andreessen over there isn't a big fan of me. He's like, okay, so, you know, so you outdid us with Panda. But here's kind of the, here's kind of the key thing that, that I, I do with my companies is rather than say we want to, we want to develop technology or technology companies, and I have over 100 patents. I don't know how many I have, but a lot of them. And that's great, except the real part about technology is how it's changing everyday businesses. And so we have 70% of our $20 trillion economy is consumer-based, and yet we have no dedicated consumer venture capitalists right now. We have some people who, for example, I'll give you, you know, I hate mm-hmm. uh, throwing an individual under the bus, but I'll, I'll take Jeremy Liu over at Lightspeed, and he's the Snapchat guy. So I said to Jeremy, Jeremy, is Netflix a technology company? And he goes, oh, yeah, they're a technology company. We, we would definitely have invested in them if we knew about it. I said, a technology company started out mailing DVDs to the post office. Mm-hmm. How, is, how is that a technology company? A mail order company. <laughs> yeah, it was a mail order company. And so what they were doing was simplifying things for consumers so you didn't have to go to a blockbuster store. Fast forward, today, every company is a technology company. And if mm-hmm. you don't use technology in your company, you're going to go out of business because you have to use it. Now, on the other hand, it doesn't mean you have to develop technology. Like, is Amazon really a technology company? No, they're, they're not. Okay, they really like a, a distribution company. I'm a, we'll set AWS aside. You know, that's a technology mm-hmm. services company but they're really a a retail distribution company with a website. And every company should have a website, except I'll tell you right now, at Silicon Valley Incubator, we don't believe in websites because we don't want to publicize what we're developing to all of our competitors or potential competitors. So we are stealthy. We never talk about very much what we're doing. I will tell you this. We had a company who, in the incubator who could get no venture capital from Sand Hill Road, yet they became so profitable they went public. So oftentimes, and what we helped them with there, basically was some technology positioning, uh, and and that was vis-a-vis a choice of like which technologies they wanted to use, and then some marketing help. So we believe that sales and marketing is one of the most important parts of any company. And one of the companies we have actually through uh, in our in our uh, Silicon Valley incubator is a company that is called Revio and and basically what they do is they provide video salesmen. So it, it's and you push three buttons once you get set up you push three buttons and you can do a video presentation to anybody and then mail it out to everybody on that list that you decide to send it to, or you can do it live with select group of people. So. Because we believe sales and marketing is the most important thing because if you don't have a sale, everything starts with that revenue. And, and if you have a business model where you have way more expenses like Lyft and Uber and Pinterest, it, 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 you may be able to get funded for a while, but it's not really a sustainable business. And, and, I, and I'm not here to be down on Uber. I think they do – they have a very interesting model and they have a very interesting uh, service but they don't make money. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, eventually that's going to be a big problem for them. But now if you're like Facebook, someone said to me about Facebook, well, they're not making money. Are they ever going to be successful? I said, they'll figure it out because 
they are in the content business. No matter what they say, they're a platform. They're in the content business, and advertisers will want to come to their site and pay for that access to that to those those people. So, so basically, what we do here is we we are more in the consumer space, and so we say, what's a big industry that really needs a restart? And and we have to hit the reset button on this industry. Um, I'll, I'll just give you one other. There nine companies in the incubator, but one of them is is literally positioned to revolutionize auto repair. And and auto repair is in that we have 160,000 auto repair facilities in the U.S. And wow. I went to one VC up on Sands Hill Road, and he said, "Oh no, cars are going away, and and you know, everybody will be ride sharing." And I'm like, "Well, what? that's a car." <laughs> yeah. I said. We sold 17 million cars last year. There are 239 million cars in the U.S. Are you kidding? <laughs> so this, is, this is what I mean. We're a little bit contrarian. Like, wouldn't you really like to have a better car repair experience? I'll give you a quick example of this just happened. My girlfriend is a doctor here in Palo Alto. So she has a Volt, and she takes the Volt, uh, the, the battery mm-hmm. thing comes on, so she takes the Volt to the dealership. They charged her... $400 and they replace the battery, $400 to analyze it and replace the battery. Now that's ridiculous, wow. okay? Wow. However, three days later the thing failed. We took it to another Chevy dealership and they put in a new battery charger, $200 because the guy forgot to download the wrong code from from uh, the Volt website. Wow. So this is the kind of crazy stuff that's going on and, and there's always somebody who's better in a field. now. This, this auto repair thing is called Nino's Garage, and, and this guy, Nino Verde, he, he's probably the top mechanic here in Silicon Valley. So we named it after him because people constantly call him up, and I'm talking about from dealerships, saying, hey, Nino, I've got this error thing. What, do you, what should I do about it? What do you think it means? Wow. <laughs> and so what we're doing is we're creating like the mothership, if you will, where for these franchises – for Nino's franchises, that you can co- contact the mothership, and then we'll we'll coach you through what to do at the dealership for the you know at the Nino dealership for these these uh, instances. And and kind of ironically, if you look at McDonald's, which is one of the biggest franchises you can have, McDonald's has a a uh, about a two and a half to three million dollar great store. will do two and a half to three million revenue a year. A ten bay Nino's garage can do $10 million a year in profitable revenue. Wow. So on, on almost the same footprint. So it is, it's a very, very, so this is what I mean about using technology like the cloud and AI, big data, to analyze these different events that you keep building up uh, background on and so that everybody knows when they start out what they have to do to fix in the most efficient way the problem that the client is experiencing. And then when you go there, instead of feeling like you're in a dungeon, it's like going to a better version of Starbucks and waiting for your car to be fixed. So it's a, it's a very, very – so this is what I mean about applying technologies to, to older industries, and, and that's kind of what we do uh, in Silicon Valley Incubator. I love it. This is exciting. I'm uh, I'm excited to keep uh to uh keep watching what you come up with, honestly. I'm thinking to myself about exactly what you said. How many times does that happen to a dealership? All the time. 
Um, that's oh, not a yeah. one-off. I know the popular <laughs> people that are listening to this right now. They're like cringing, like, "Oh, can my local like get that? Can they? Can we find We've all had it. I, I had it with my Aston Martin. I took it in. I got a $10,000 bill. I was like, you got to be kidding me. There's no way you can do $10,000 worth of work to this car. Oh, my God. I love it. like, well, you know, that, that's just a standard thing. I'm like, okay. So I said, Nina. Well, I, I had another friend of mine who had the same experience with Mercedes. They wanted to charge him $6,000 for something. Uh, I said, take it over to Nina's. And so I said, Nina, just fix this thing for him. He takes it for him for twelve hundred dollars. Oh so my god! It, it's that kind of stuff. That's what I mean by reasonable and proper. So it, it, you know, you can't keep ripping people off and thinking it's okay. And especially women, I feel sorry for any woman who takes her car in to be repaired because ninety yeah. percent of the time they're going to rip you off. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. I mean, it's sad, but it is a thing. And I, I mean, there's no, no bias. I don't care where you go. I mean, it's kind of a thing that happens. Um, well, geez, um, I'll tell you what, Stanford, um, I really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, sharing your knowledge and sharing what you, uh, what exactly you do um, and, and how your, your take is, is a bit different. I, I like hearing it. I, I haven't quite heard the same thing. It sounds almost like, um, you're operating in um, Silicon Valley in a uh, in a practical manner, like uh, something that we used to have prior to just gaining eyeballs, um, and or I should say, on, on another model, I should say. Um, so really, really super interesting, um, and glad glad you're willing to share that story. Um, I know you said you did not have a website, so if, uh, if listeners wanted to follow up or get more information, uh, there's selfie over there, so I don't know if Stanford wants to be reached out to. But um, well, uh, no, but. no, it's it's just that we you know like to you know a lot of people like to tell here's what we're doing and so forth, and we like to keep it kind of low profile. But anybody can get to me through LinkedIn because I think that's a really okay. valuable way. And I, I love communicating with people there and helping them. Uh, it, it's, you know, and then people who are interested in, in the companies, they reach out to me through there. So it, okay. it's it's a really useful tool for us. But, uh, uh, right. you know, please have anyone reach out on LinkedIn. And I, I with only one or two exceptions of, of people that I know had an axe to grind against me, I, I always accept these invitations, so I'm happy to do it. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, well, Sanford, thanks again for coming on the show. And uh, to the listeners, as always, thank you for uh, tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave me a review, do all those good things we do to support our podcasters. I really appreciate it. And uh, Sanford, thanks again.